Hey, Chicago Fire fans, this is Nick with the Feed the Fire podcast brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water and the Fire. That's right, the Chicago Fire of Major League Soccer. Yep, the ones who play at Soldier Field and occasionally at SeatGeek, they are on a win streak. Kind of. We're counting the two games in a row they have defeated St. Louis City as their first back-to-back wins against MLS competition all season and that's all it took right two matches against st louis city the expansion side who started off the season so hot and has now come back down to earth has cooled off mightily now is this a turning point in the season for the chicago fire back-to-back wins against potential regional rivals here and the mls's newest darling uh we'll discuss that in this episode especially as the MLS schedule is getting a little more congested and a little more difficult in the upcoming weeks. Specifically, we're going to recap that win against St. Louis, including the goal, the stats, and look ahead to Wednesday's short turnaround match at Charlotte FC. So for this episode, Fire fans, we went, rinsed, we repeated, we won against St. Louis, and we need to do it again for Charlotte. So let's get right into it. So on Saturday, the Fire fans who were announced at over 18,000 this weekend. Again, how many of those are free tickets? How many of those actually showed up? I don't know. But still, this was obviously the most well-attended match of the year for the Fire. Uh, The fans there welcomed St. Louis, and the match got off to a great start. Lots of pace. I noted it uh, on Twitter. Follow along at Glasshouse Soccer. Uh, I give my halftime thoughts and my full-time thoughts as well as some thoughts during the match on on things that occur. Um, But there's a lot of pace from both teams early on in this game. It was St. Louis's high press, the Chicago Fire having to play a lot of one-touch passing to break the press and create some breakout counter opportunities. But also there are some really good moments by both goalkeepers, Chris Brady for the Fire, Roman Berkey uh, for St. Louis City to keep things level at zero. And speaking of that passing, I was actually fairly impressed with the Chicago Fire's back line and defensive midfielders being able to pass around and through St. Louis City's high press in order to maintain possession and then transition into some offense. Now, that is, of course, with the exception of Gaston Jimenez's back pass uh, in the second minute. Again, very typical of what St. Louis has gotten many times throughout the season. A high press leads to a quick pass backwards without the defender checking their shoulder, and it goes right to a St. Louis player. Thank goodness, again, Chris Brady comes up with a big save. And maybe that kind of moment of panic and fear and of like, oh, no, what did I just do? Maybe that kind of helps settle them a bit or at least lock the back line in a little bit more. Uh, because from then on out, they seemed pretty solid. And while they were very hurried, they seemed very comfortable by, uh, while they were hurried by St. Louis's press, they seemed very comfortable passing it around and passing it through it. Also, I think what really helped was emphasizing playing in the double pivot with Federico Navarro and Gaston Jimenez as the central defensive midfielders. Having those two guys play as CDMs, central defensive midfielders, is not something new for this fire club. But the fact that they are dropping back at and specifically given the role of this double pivot 
and then it's their job to progress the ball to Shakiri or Gutierrez, and they are they are good outlets for the back line, especially our center backs, who I saw a lot more under Ezra's management than Klopas in his two games. They wanted to get the ball out wide and get the wing backs forward looking for long balls, but really what helped the fire in this case was controlled passing from the back line from these midfielders. Uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with what is a double pivot and, and the phrase that we're throwing around, essentially, when you are transitioning from defense to offense, how many players are you using to do that? So in the Fires double pivot in this game, you had Federico Navarro and Gaston Jimenez as your defensive midfielders. They're not pushing forward as much. They're not getting into the attack as much, but they present themselves as passing options to the back line, to the center backs and the full backs and the wing backs. And they and those defensive players find either one of these two, and they will literally pivot, <laughs> turn the ball upfield, and then look to start the counterattack with a pass to Shakiri or Gutierrez centrally or on the midfield wing. And in some of the more advanced systems, uh, or you'll see better teams, those guys will start the offense. Federico Navarro, I guess, Don Jimenez, first look will be downfield to a streaking striker or into the wings for a winger who is coming up uh, the sides of the field there. So usually in a double pivot, you want to maintain possession first and foremost, play the ball past that first line of pressure by the opposing team. And then number one, look for a quick counterattack long ball, or then number two, look for your attacking midfielders, in this case, Gutierrez and Shakiri. And we're going to talk about the two of them and how well they played together as well. So that's kind of what we mean by the double pivot in, in the most simplest terms here. Um, and also as a fan, if you look to see how, how they're playing with those two central defensive midfielders, it kind of tells you the game plan that the fire will have, whether they want to launch their wingers forward and play the ball on the wings, or and especially if Navarro and Jimenez are lobbing balls over the top, uh, then you'll see that they're looking for those quick counterattacks rather than more of a, a possession in the game. Something to look at. But now let's look at the goal. Rafa Chijos, our captain in the 40th minute. He'd only been on the field for six minutes coming in from a injured Carlos Tehran. Uh, in the 40th minute, off of a set piece, Gutierrez, I believe, draws a foul about 25 yards out to the right of the goalkeeper. Shakiri plays a really great cross. This is one where they drew it up on the training ground because of the height on the cross and the fact that he plays it over everyone else's head to get it to the far post runner. That is a drawn up play. He doesn't just whip it into the box and see which one of his attacking players can either get ahead on it. And then they're, you know, hoping for maybe some pinball if they don't score off of the initial header. Nope, this was drawn up to the far post. Now, I think the way the play is usually drawn up is that it gets on onto the head of the far post runner who plays it back across or volleys it back across. But in this case, Chios gets a little wrong footed. Um, the the foot that's being played forward when the ball comes in is his left foot, which he's on the opposite side of the goal. So he's able just to kind of deflect it back across the front of the goal with the outside of his left foot. And it was just enough to get it past a goalkeeper in Roman Berkey, who was leaning towards the near post and is unable to regain his balance and make the save. And it's got just enough power on the redirect to get across the goal line for the one, nothing lead and victory. That's all they needed on the day, and they didn't blow the lead. That's the biggest takeaway out of this game. I think we as frustrated fans can say the Chicago Fire did not blow a one nothing lead. 
late in the game to either draw or lose it. Now, interim manager Frank Klopas said post-game, I think there was a really good balance with the guys going forward and then guys that are staying back, and we even knew the way they were going to play and push the game in the end. So Klopas spoke to the fire-blowing leads, which let me juxtapose it to some of Ezra's post-game comments because Ezra came out and said, you just can't have that. You got to be tough. You got to be mentally tough, blah, blah, blah. And you have Frank Klopas here saying there was a good balance with the guys going forward and those staying back. Klopas gives you a much more formational or tactical answer. And also he said the opposition, they knew how they were going to push late in the game and they were able to adjust for it. So Klopas versus Ezra, when talking about the same issue, gives you a, a much more, I think, complete answer and discusses it in terms of X's and O's and formationally a little bit more than Ezra saying it's a mentality thing. Tells you a little bit of the different managing style between Klopas and Ezra. and Maybe something Klopas worked on during training sessions. Here's another thing that stood out in this match. Obviously, we had the back-to-back wins against St. Louis. We have the set-piece goal. Jordan Shakiri gets on the score sheet with the assist. They don't blow the lead. But here's another big thing that stood out, not just to me, but to a lot of people out there. Gutierrez and Shakiri on the pitch, starting the game together, playing together, and playing effectively together. I have been a proponent that if the Fire are going to play their best soccer, they need to have both Gutierrez and Shakiri on the pitch at the same time. They are their two best offensive players, arguably, but at the very least, they are the two players that will make the offense work. And in order for the offense to work at its best, you need your two best players there. Um, having Shakiri sub on for Gutierrez or vice versa just doesn't work. Now, the question had been, do you put Shakiri on the wing and Gutierrez centrally? Do you switch those two and have Gutierrez on the wing? I think we're seeing, you know, Gutierrez start on the wing, but has the freedom to come inside. I think Shakiri starts centrally, but knows that he can drift out wide, cut back in on his left foot and play some long balls like he's been doing. So maybe Klopas is just letting them figure it out on the pitch rather than kind of hamstringing them to certain positions and things, which is something that Ezra did. I'm not going to say he hamstrung them, but he liked guys playing in their specific positions. So going over my notes here. Yeah. Ezra never really did figure this one out, but at the same time, Shakiri was pretty much not available during large, large sections of his tenure, especially this season. But here is what Klopas said about Shakiri and Gutierrez playing together. Uh, quote, I think there's ways because I like it's just a different way. I like when Guti's out wide at times. I like when he's operating more centrally into the half channels and also with Shaq. And then our ability now, like you saw today, there were moments when they were building with, they were pressing with two forwards. I think he's talking about St. Louis there. We had Gaston dropping between the center backs, and I wanted Shaq to come a little bit deeper, Guti come inside, and then weak side winger inside and form a box, and then really overload centrally where we can play quick and switch the point of attack. So you're, you're hearing, again, you're hearing a lot more tactical discussion than Ezra ever gave us in the quote sheets, at least, where, yeah, when St. Louis was pressing, you saw Gaston Jimenez drop back almost as a third center back, and that open space or that required then Shakiri to drop into uh, a deeper midfield role to receive the ball 
and Gutierrez then could push in centrally, and then whichever wing back uh, on the side Gutierrez was playing could push up if they had the ball, or he had the opposite midfield winger there available for him to play to. And then, of course, you've got Kai Kutsius, and I think Shabilko maybe even had, had a little bit of a run in this one um, as outlets up front. Um, so you see that he's working a lot more tactically and having them switch positions around. And you've got a guy who's extremely, extremely intelligent on the pitch, like Jared and Shakiri, who even as a defensive midfielder, at least in that location, he can still play a line-breaking pass. He can still be, play a long ball over the top. And if it's not there, he knows get the ball to Gutierrez, and Gutierrez can progress with the dribble. Gutierrez is good enough and is getting the confidence to take defenders in 1v1 situations. Use the dribble to beat the first one, use the pass to beat the second one, and then you should have a free runner if a second defender has to come up and step on the ball carrier. So giving them a little bit more freedom essentially seemed to work this match. Now let's see how other teams adjust, right? And is this some brilliant tactical mind that Frank Klopas has here? I'm not going to say that because his overall coaching record would probably reflect be a little bit better than what it is right now, if not a lot better. But what he's doing is he's just letting his best players play. You know, he's saying, look, if they're going to press, we need to drop back and defend and have our outlets. Defense to Shakiri, Shakiri to the wingers or to Gutierrez who can progress it. Like it's not difficult concepts here, uh, but it's something that, but that kind of structure seemed to be lacking previously. Um, additionally, Klopas went on to praise uh, the two plays, the, the two Gutierrez and Shakiri's their play versus St. Louis. And, and by the eye test, I think a lot of people would agree, this was Shakiri's best game of the season. He still wasn't running like 100% like I think we've seen him. But you know what? When the man can pass and cover just enough ground to put pressure, a little pressure defensively, and continue to, to spray the ball around, then we'll take it, especially in a win. Can't be too overly scrutinizing when these wins have been rare so far. Additionally, we saw Jerdan Shakiri praise Klopas for how Klopas communicates with the team, and Gutierrez seemed very positive when asked about playing on the wing to allow Shakiri the space in the middle. Now, he did admit he's not used to it. It's a little more difficult for him, but they got a result. He's got the freedom to move in the middle, so he had a very positive attitude about it. Again, I can't say that I've ever been in favor of Klopas as the manager. In fact, I haven't been, just given his history with the club. Uh, and I've questioned openly on this podcast and on Twitter as to why he's still with the club after being a part of so many losing seasons with them. But at least in these two games against St. Louis, again, a struggling St. Louis, take it for what it's worth. He certainly, Frank Klopas, has had a positive effect on the team. And anytime a coach wants to take a team out to Greek islands and go out for Greek food, I will always get behind that. Now, as we always do, let's take a look at the statistics of this game. In our preview episode, we showed that St. Louis's strength was attacking, but this statistically was then not a good game for St. Louis. They were missing three starters. So again, before we get too high on this fire victory, they were out Klaus, Alm, and Parker, starting striker, starting midfielder, central midfielder, I believe, and, and Tim Parker, their center back, and I believe captain. Um, so that didn't do St. Louis any favors, but here are the numbers. Possession favored Chicago, 51-52%. Uh, Chicago had nine shots, six on goal, whereas St. Louis, nine shots, only two on goal. Chicago did block a shot. Chicago's passing, 438 passing, 75% passing accuracy. So not 
not a terrible passing day for the fire. We, we talked about a lot of passes in the defensive half in order to break the press and maintain possession. Five corners. Here's the big number. St. Louis had 20 crosses on the day to the fire's eight. Uh, so they were lobbing in balls, especially late in the game, trying to salvage something. 20 crosses and only three corner kicks. So you could tell that a lot of these crosses were coming in from the run of play, that they were just desperate to lob anything in, and that without Alm in the middle kind of setting up some passes or some through balls, they were kind of struggling to create anything there. Chicago outdueled St. Louis 68-54, and the tackles one was even at 13. Chicago had a lot of clearances here, 31 clearances, which is not surprising given a high-pressing team and given that they lobbed in 20 crosses. Um, but the, the other stat of the night, two yellow cards for the fire, three yellow cards for St. Louis resulting in one red card. St. Louis did play a man down for a large chunk of that second half. And to be perfectly honest, St. Louis is lucky they were only one man down. There were a number of tackles that have, could have been a straight red or players could have picked up their second yellow. It was, po- it was possible St. Louis finished with eight men on the pitch, given the way some of the tackles were. And there was a lot of talk by the broadcasters, social media, and everyone that had a tackle not been by a player already on a yellow in, in the first half, it would have been, it would have been a definite yellow, but the referee used his discretion to keep things level. Um, despite the fact and the cries from a lot of fire fans that, that it should have been a yellow. And I'm in that camp as well. Um, yeah. I hope all that made sense, right? The, the referee could have given three reds to St. Louis. I'll put it that way in summation. Now looking at expected goals, the fire had 0.9 expected goals to St. Louis's 0.5. But where I saw improvement in this area is that four of the Fire's nine shots had over a 10% chance of scoring, according to MLSsoccer.com's models. Whereas in the last few MLS matches, I don't think they created an opportunity that had more of an 8% chance. So they, in this game, they created better opportunities. It wasn't like they had 15, 17 shots and only two on goal or any, and, and they had an XG of like three just because of volume, but they actually created some solid opportunities in this match, which needs to continue if they're going to continue winning. Now, at this point in the show, we're going to take our sponsor break and then look ahead previewing their match at Charlotte FC. So I'm going to remind everyone that this show is brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Icelandic for clear, Skira water comes from a spring in a government-protected nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. This isn't your average water. Clearly, pun intended, it is one of the best and it is available at your local 7-Eleven. You can taste the difference. I was in Iceland like the nice sparkling bottled water here in the States is like tap water in Iceland. That's how good their water is. You can taste the difference in Skira Icelandic spring water. Go ahead, pick a bottle of it. We also want to give a shout out to our guest contributor, John Donovan, who always gives us his reactions, but this weekend he is traveling. So John, wish you safe travels. I hope you're enjoying your time away uh, and hopefully having a couple bottles of Skira or a few bottles of of anything else out there that you may enjoy as well. Now, looking ahead, the Chicago Fire's next match is at Charlotte, and we're doing kind of a combined review preview because it is a short turnaround. The Fire are playing Wednesday, 
May 17th against the 12th place Charlotte FC. Now they are one point ahead of the fire in the standings and one place ahead of the fire as the fire remain in 13th place. Charlotte also is coming off a big 3-1 victory over Atlanta United. So here's what you need to know about Charlotte FC. Enzo Capetti is their leading goal scorer, their designated player. He's got four goals on the season. Carl Swiderski, their top player from last season, also one of their best goal scorers, three goals on the season. Then Joswiak and Justin Miram each have two goals. As far as kind of their playmakers, Joswiak has four assists, Jalen Lindsay with four assists, and Harrison Offal and Carl Swiderski also with two assists each. So you've seen, you know, they've got four or five players who are really key to their offense, and those are the players that the Chicago Fire are going to have to keep an eye on. Swiderski has some excellent, excellent movement in the box, and defenders lose him very easily, and he scores a lot of one-touch, a lot of tap-ins, a lot of short-range goals. They're going to have to mark him at all times. On the flip side, you've got a striker in Enzo Capetti, uh, who can also play out on the wing, and he will rip a shot from distance if you give him the space. So that, again, is where the fire could really find themselves in trouble if they're in transition defense and they continually backpedal into their own 18. Capetti will pull up and blast a shot from, you know, 17 to 20 yards out, and Brady may not be able to read it at that time or make a good save as well as he's been playing. At the same time, you have to always know where Carol Swarderski is because he will get lost in that defense, find the space, and then find the net. Here's where this fire can exploit Charlotte, and that's in Charlotte's defense. They've allowed the most goals in MLS so far with 22, and their goalkeeping is a bit suspect. The fire are going to need to shoot and shoot often and keep the pressure up. Charlotte, on the other hand, hasn't gotten into that much of an offensive rhythm. They are in the bot- near the bottom of the league in goal scoring, shooting, and their average shot is 17 yards out. And this statistic is from fbref.com. So Charlotte is not afraid to shoot the ball from distance. Now, what does all of this tell us, right? All signs point to Charlotte being a very, very, very average to maybe just below average MLS team right now, given their statistics. However, that's why we play the game, right? Games aren't won and lost on, on the season stat sheet here. They are won and lost in the 90 minutes on the field. This big win against Atlanta will surely give them a boost. Also, you got to wonder if the Fire are starting to think about maybe preserving some players, rotating some uh, guys off of injury, whether it be some of the center backs, maybe Kendall Burks gets some minutes, or we see Jairo Torres come in uh, and try and get a little bit more than just kind of a token appearance than he did at the end of the St. Louis game. If the Fire are over that new manager bump, if you believe that's what's going on, there's a lot of intangible things that are here. And oh, by the way, they're playing in Charlotte, which has one of the most spectacular home field advantages in MLS. They also may be without Carlos Tehran, who came off early in the match after a bad, bad collision. Um, But Olmsberg should be ready to go. And I really think uh, Olmsberg and Tehran are very interchangeable. They're not identical players. But they're both big, strong, physical, and have the good sense about them to play a nice pass out of the back. Um, Pineda has also been solid. We'll see how he's how he's feeling if his legs are up for another match uh, after going 90 just a few days prior. So the back line 
for the Chicago Fire is going to be, I think, the focus this week as we as fans need to look at. Because if Shakiri and Gutierrez and whoever's on the wing and up top can continue to build that chemistry and play the game forward and, and just keep the pressure up, then I think the Fire are going to be in a good spot. But if the defense is shaky, if Charlotte gets the crowd behind them and gets an early goal, it's going to be really difficult for the Fire to walk away with one, let alone three points at Charlotte. So let's take a look at the odds and the predictions now. Of course, all of this is, is subject to injury reports and anything else crazy that might might come up between now and kickoff. But according to BetMGM as of Monday morning, Charlotte is actually plus 100. So you'd have to bet 100 to get 100. So not really any value in betting on Charlotte in the, on this game. And as a result of that, you think more people who are trying to make some money might bet on Chicago or the draw. The draw's at plus 250 and Chicago's at 240, and maybe that would move the money line a little bit. Uh, but here we are, as of Monday morning, it is plus 100 for Charlotte to win at home. Um, so maybe the maybe there is some value in putting money on the draw on this one, but personally, I never bet on my home team. I would never put money on my home team because you're always going to be disappointed regardless, and it's hard to bet with your head on your hometown team. So what I'm going to do on this one for my pick, and because I don't want to get hurt by thinking the fire all of a sudden, this new brand new team, uh, I'm going to pick Charlotte with a 2-1 victory at home. Things seem to be going too well for the fire in two matches. Everyone is on this high. No real gambling analysis in this analysis in this pick. It's just kind of my feeling. And, and my overall philosophy in MLS is you are what you are until you're not. And the fire are not the team that's going to win three games in a row. They're not the team that's going to win back-to-back -back MLS games until they actually do it. You know, the Fire's best form of the season was from May 25th to April 14th, when in that four-game span, they had two wins against Miami and Minnesota and two draws against Philadelphia and D.C. And that has been the Fire's best run. They had declined since then, and they are now looking to at least climb back up the mountain a little bit, climb back up the standings, but I just don't see them as that team yet. Now prove me wrong, Chicago Fire. Prove me wrong, interim manager Frank Globas and co, that maybe the Fire can win three games in a row. Maybe they can start putting together a win streak and then continue their U.S. Open Cup run and their game against Austin. Regardless of any of that, I've really enjoyed the two wins for St. Louis, and there's a lot that looks good right now. But again, let's temper the expectation. Let's let the fire prove themselves. Let's let the injury history heal up a little bit. Let's see if our strikers can actually produce. Because, guys, it's, it was great that we won one nothing against St. Louis. But it was our center back who subbed in on a set piece that got the goal. So they're still having trouble creating offense, right? Also, let's look at the schedule here. The fire are at Charlotte on Wednesday. They come home to play Atlanta on Saturday. The following Wednesday, they're at Austin for U.S. Open Cup. Then the following Saturday, at New England. Then the next two Saturdays, at Toronto, at Cincinnati. This is not a very good run of games, just from a scheduling perspective, for the Chicago Fire. Things could come back down to earth or worse very, very quickly. So let's get through the next you know, three weeks or so, and we can reassess the season here and see if the fire are in a very, very solid state and if they are really going to make that run to the playoffs. But in the meantime, 
Go nuts, fans. I'm not going to tell you how to fan. I'm not going to tell you how to celebrate or what to do. But personally, and hey, maybe this is the pessimistic glass half-empty lawyer in me. I'm not going to get too high right now. I'm also going to try not to get too low because, as we've discussed, there's some good things going on. Now, around the league, there were some notable results, a lot of rivalry games. Charlotte beats Atlanta 3-1, to as I mentioned. Montreal with a big 2-0 win over Canadian rival Toronto FC. Condolences, Jay. Condolences, Mike. Sporting Kansas City defeats Minnesota 3-0. Kansas City is is on a pretty good bump right now. A couple of wins in a row for them after being the last team in the league to get a win. Still bottom of the table. Uh, but also bottom of the table, LA Galaxy get a 2-1 victory over San Jose. Did not expect that. Could this be the week that turns around three teams? Could these results turn around Chicago, Kansas City, and the Galaxy? I don't know. Time will tell, right? A couple things to watch for this upcoming match day on May 17th. We've got a great rivalry out east, Philadelphia, hosting D.C. United. Uh, hopefully Christian Benteke is back for D.C. United. He missed that last game uh, for them, and his presence certainly was missed and felt. Minnesota is playing Houston, uh, which could have some U.S. Open Cup implications for Chicago, uh, because if those teams are playing in the regular season and then matching up again in U.S. Open Cup, we'll see how they want to line up and how they want to play against each other. And then kind of my last notable match to watch, LAFC versus Sporting Kansas City. And I mentioned Sporting Kansas City is now, uh, I believe, on a two-game win streak. And they are starting to find their form. They're healthy. Polito is back. Adi Kinda looks good. Johnny Russell is doing Johnny Russell things. Uh, and so he is definitely, you know, they're all, they're pushing for it. Melia had some big saves. He had a little bit of a knock. We'll see if he starts in goal in this game. So can a rising Kansas City steal a point on the road at top of the West LAFC? Are they still top of the West? Well, they certainly think they should be. Anyway, that is our show for today, everyone. Follow along on Spotify. Make sure you click those notifications that you're following along on Spotify. That's the best way to hear everything we have to say here on Feed the Fire. We're also available on any on most popular podcasting platforms, as well as on YouTube. You can like and subscribe. We'd love some comments. We'd love some rating reviews, both on YouTube and on the podcast platform. That helps us continue to function within the algorithms of these platforms and, and have us get higher up in the rankings and pushed out to more people. So uh, I always think more fire content and more MLS content is better. If you agree, give us five stars, give us a good rating and share the link, share the show. And with that, I will say thank you and good day and let's go fire. Fire.